Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. I'm glad that, glad that you're here. Um, the scripture says that it's good for us. It's good for us to dwell together in unity. The scripture also says that David, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here glad tonight that you came to the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. We should always come with gladness in our hearts, always come with joy. And uh, there's something about that choosing to rejoice, choosing joy over sadness, choosing that over fatigue, choosing that over negativity that sets us in a place where we can really not, but just where our body, our feelings, our physical body, our own mind, our whole attitude, everything starts to adjust to that choice. So I'm grateful to God that he's made us creatures of choices. Amen. And that's, that's, a, that's a privilege and a responsibility. So tonight, my beautiful wife and I have uh, chosen to go into another night of question and answer and uh, upon some requests from others, and we were happy to do this tonight to answer as many questions as we possibly can. But there are a couple of leftovers from when my brother and I, Pastor Brandon, did this, and so I want to start with those in case they were any of your questions, and we want to start with those. Alex is going to ask them, and then we'll go from there tonight, all right? We good? Father, bless this time tonight. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Lord, as Solomon said, I just need wisdom. I need wisdom. So, Lord, we're asking you for that tonight. Thank you for the wisdom of God. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, that you give it liberally to those who ask. We thank you tonight for this moment. Be blessed. Be glorified. Let your people, Lord, be built and strengthened tonight by what happens here tonight. Let they be better equipped for life and for ministry in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Alex, what you got? Yes, sir. Um, okay, so real quick, just a reminder, if you have not signed up to, for the question and answer thing on our text alert system, um, Brooke, do you have that slide? Yes, awesome. You can text at OCAsk to 81010, and it'll text you back, and then you can reply to that message. If you don't remember the phone number, just do this again, and it'll text you so you know who to text. Anyway, the first question that we have left over from last time is, how do you keep modern politics, Trump, Hillary, gun control, et cetera, out of the church, and should you? Oh, very easily we keep that all, all that out of here. <laughs> easily. Well, here's the thing. I know that um, one of, first of all, let me just say this. The enemy is doing everything that he can to bring division through whatever avenue. And how many of you know that politics, any conversation in politics, can be very divisive? And, and, there are, and, and people are so uh, adamant in their stance on politics and who they're, who they're voting for and, and all that kind of stuff. If you and I were out in the parking lot, I'd be happy to talk to you about those things. I am an American, so I have opinions, right? But as the pastor of this church... I will never pollute the pulpit with politics, ever. I am called by God to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ here, to train you up, to teach you the word of God. That's why I don't do that. I don't, I don't think it has any place 
behind the pulpit in this church. Now, other churches feel different. That's fine. That's between them and God, and they'll stand before him and give account. But I am giving an account. I take that extremely seriously. And, and if I want to bring division, then I'll talk politics. And you know what? Half the people will walk out. You know, Charles Neiman told me that years ago. He says, you want to split your church in half? Just bring up who to vote for. Just tell them who they need to vote for. Because it doesn't matter how well you preach. It doesn't matter. Once you take sides in that area, it's, it's, it is no good for the church. We have enough things coming against us to divide us. And I'm not called by God. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, Jesus never called out the politicians of his time. He, he called out the religious leaders of his time. As a matter of fact, they even, they even brought him a coin. He said, render to Caesar what is his. He didn't take that moment to get on a political platform and talk about what a pervert Caesar was and all the wrong that he was. Never did. Paul, the apostle, never did it. Never did it. They didn't bring politics into this preaching. I don't have any example for them, from them to do that. Why should I all of a sudden make it my platform? It's not my calling. My calling is to equip you with the word of God. Amen. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. You have something to say on that? Hey, listen, let me just say this. Right quick. In the sub, uh, since, since Donald J. Trump is our president, like it or not, it's the way it is. And, and we have these governing authorities here. The, what we can do is pray for them. All right? Since, since this is the way it is, we need to pray for them. Need to pray for our leaders. Need to pray for the wisdom of God instead of just denigrate, 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 denigrate. Amen. Let's lift them up. Let's see what God can do. Anything's possible. Okay. Sorry, sweetheart. Now y'all know what it's like at our house. Um, I was just going to say somewhat that we, we respect the office no matter who is sitting in it. And we hold them up in prayer and we support them in any way we can once they hold that office, no matter how we feel about it, and honor that office because... It is worthy of honor no matter who's seated in it. Um, and there will be things that are spoken about from the pulpit that you feel like line up one way or another. So people sometimes have heard political things from the pulpit, but it wasn't because Eric was preaching about the politics of it. There are things in the scripture that he'll preach for that in your mind or in your belief will line up with one party or another. But... Um, Probably more than likely not with either one of them completely. So, uh, and we, we recognize that, that, you know, neither one of them is perfect. So it's not some, some place we're willing to take a stand because neither one of them fully aligns themselves with the gospel. If one of them does happen to at some point line themselves with the gospel, praise God. Yeah, I, I thank it. God that he's not a Republican or a Democrat. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's God. Everything, every knee has to bow to him. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. <laughs> Question number two. Wait, we didn't get to gun control. Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> now, that's not politics. That's a right that we have as American citizens. All right, let me just say that. Okay, go ahead. It shall not be infringed. It's the Second Amendment. Okay. What is your most mind-blowing thought in regards to God? Your Say most, that again. Your most mind-blowing thought in regards to God. That God would... I think it, this didn't really dawn on me until I became a father. 
that he would give up his own son for us. That he would do that. That continues to blow my mind to this day because I wouldn't give my children's lives to save one person on planet earth. I wouldn't do it. My love has limits in that way. But God, he so loved us that he gave up his son for us. That's extraordinary to me. What about you? I was going to say the same thing. Of course you were. <laughs> I'm going to smack him before the night's over. <laughs> Amen. Any more? Okay. So and I not only that. Yes. But that God... On March the 30th, 1982, touched some little unknown nerdy kid who wore big glasses in Thackerville, Oklahoma, and called him to preach. That blows my mind. And that calling has taken me further and to do more than I ever dreamed I ever would. He's awesome. Now I'm done. All right, I think those were the only two we had from last time. If I missed yours, please send it again. Um, also, does anyone have any questions? You're welcome to raise your hand and we can get a mic to you. But no one has sent any other questions in yet. Question over here. Um, over and over in the Bible, you see the number 40. What's the significance of that? The number 40? Yeah. Uh, I have no clue. <laughs> uh, if, if I can remember right, Lord Jesus. Okay, let's go back to our, our numbers. Well, 40 many times has, has to do with a, a completion. Uh, now, 7 is the number of completion, but 40, like, Israel was under a trial for 40 days with Goliath, right? 40 days. And then David showed up. Uh, 40 days and nights it rained, right? And then the next thing that happened was the ark rested. You know, by the way, just, just for your information, I'm glad you asked that question. When the ark rested, do you remember what mountain range it rested? Anybody remember your, your Bible stories? Ararat. Mount Ararat. A-R-A-R-A-T. Ararat. It is the Hebrew word. If you look this up in your concordance, the Hebrew word for Ararat means literally curse reversed. The ark rested in a mountain range called Curse Reversed. Is that powerful or what? But 40 days. And not, also, Jesus fasted for 40 days, right? And then he overcame powerfully um, the t every temptation of the devil. So I don't know all the significance of 40 because I'm not much of a, a numerology person in that way. Just kind of skim it on the surface. Um, but it seems to be related to some kind of trial and then the end of that persecution or trial, whatever it may be, the victory in, in the end. Anybody here got a better answer? Your dad, I know, would. Rabbi Pilate, maybe you could text in something and we could share what your information is. Share your knowledge with us. All right. Now, I know there are more examples of, of 40. I think uh, Moses also was on the mountain with God for 40 days as well. And, uh, and that's when he got to see Actually, the back of God, and that almost killed him. God said, you can't see my face. 
You won't, you won't live through that experience. Any other questions? What else? Uh, uh, back here, Ashley Tambourine. Tambourine. Hang on, hang on. Turn that up just a little bit. A little bit of Led Zeppelin. A little bit of Led Zeppelin in your life every day is a pretty good day. It makes for a pretty good day. Our band used to cover that, cover that song. Anyway, all right. Ashley, yes, ma'am. Okay, sorry. I was asking a question about the questions. <laughs> about y'all's relationship, can y'all, when you sit down or when you look back, you know, over the last... 20 years, you know, being together and in the ministry, um, is there like just a consistent theme that now in hindsight, you're really able to see God really saying in your relationship or something that you continue, almost like a, a mission statement between the two of you, the theme of your relationship. Do you see that playing out more and more and more? Um, this isn't something I can call my father-in-law and ask, is it? I, that's what I would have done on the last question. Um, a theme, I don't, okay, so what's the question? Like a theme or something we've consistently had to deal with? No, they cut my mic off. Uh. Oh. <laughs> they, they, they do that to me too. No, I just meant like, is there something that you feel, you know, I know that each of us are called to something and we feel like there's specific things that it's like you, you conquer in your life. And so yeah. just wondering, like as a couple, when two become one, you know, in your ministry, do you feel... Like, for instance, I know you guys have a heart for younger people. You know, there just seems like that younger people kind of flock to you. So I was just wondering, in hindsight, if there was something that really stood out to you that you didn't necessarily start off seeing, that mm. God yes. really had a plan in that way, and you've really seen it again and again and again come up and, you know, just manifest in your relationship. Is that a weird mm -hmm. question? Yeah. One of the things that I know that we didn't see at first, and then when we started to acknowledge it's been something that's kind of unfolded in layers and we come back around to acknowledging it again because sometimes we get away from it is that our differences are strengths for one another and we're we're very different from each other and it can be very frustrating but it can also be very complimentive I don't know you know and um complimentary yes yeah so we, and sometimes we get away from that and get to the frustration again, but through the years, we've learned to use those differences to help one another and to complement one another and not to be frustrated and, and um, try to bring them over our, to our way of thinking or that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, but that has been kind of a consistent struggle, but also a consistent realization and deeper and deeper as we go. There's something about tension that if, that if you are, you know, life is made up of tension in different ways, but tension, you need that. You need that kind of constant tension in your life so that it keeps you alive and aware and awake. Now, in, how you behave in that tension is really what makes the difference, you know. What, and I think marriage needs a tension in it. Um, and and uh, so... You know, my sister used to always tell us, you know, she goes, I've never seen anybody like you. You either are knocked down, drag out, fight, or you're just making out. There's like no middle ground with you and Heather, you know. And uh, so that kind of was, you know, we've learned through the years, and I think maybe just through age too, is just kind of level that off a little bit. 
I mean, we, we fight good. We fight. We, we do really well at it. But, <laughs> but the makeup part is, is really good, too. So I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I have to keep it, you know, kind of low-key as best I can here. But what I'm, all I'm, she has, I used to be, I used to be threatened by her. I used to take what she would say to me as threatening rather than as complimentary. And I had to learn to just get over myself in a lot of ways and, and, and get rid of some mindsets that I had that were, that were not good mindsets and, and, and welcome who she is in my life fully and the wisdom and the grace that Heather carries. I, I've learned to just really see the beauty and the power of that. You know, and that takes time to, to develop those kinds of things. Um, and I, I would say, Ashley, one of the things I think Heather and I have we've seen throughout our lives is just ministering out to young people, but we've, through the years, we've had different people just stay with us, you know? And um, I know poor Jonna, bless her heart, when she first came into our lives, I mean, she was just so many ways sheltered from from so many things in the world. I feel like, how is it that your pastor is corrupting you? You are really sheltered if your pastor is corrupting you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) anyway, but but she would, she'd be over at the house and stuff, and, and she, she has seen us in the good times and the bad times. I mean, she's seen us, and we just decided, you know, if we're going to have anybody live with us or be in our house, we're just going to live out loud. And, you know, some people might not like that, but uh, it's the way it is. We are pastors, yes, but we're also human, and we, we, we just want to live our lives where people can come in and they see that we have difficulty, we, we have challenges, but... We don't stay in those things. We learn how to resolve the conflicts and, and move forward, you know. And just don't want to be fake about it at all, you know. We've actually had some of the young people that have lived with us at times say that that was the greatest mentoring they've ever had was just living day to day like it wasn't anything in particular that we taught them. It was them just watching how we live. And most of them see difficult times if they live yeah, with us for very long Yeah, and it's far from perfect. Yeah. Far from perfect. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. I'm talking about me, not you. <laughs> of course, of course. Amen. But we like that setting. We like the setting where kind of, you know, um, Heather and I cut our teeth in ministry together in a small group setting with young people. When, when my band was playing in the bars and stuff, we made some friends there that would not darken the door of our church. I mean, one or two would, but, you know, they, did, they weren't comfortable with that because some of these places we were going to were pretty dark. And so we decided, you know what, maybe they won't come to church, but maybe they'll come to our house. And so we had this group of people that would, we'd see in the bars on Friday, Saturday nights, and then we'd have them come to our apartment on Sunday nights for a little Bible study. And they would come to that atmosphere. And I, I mean, you know, <laughs> a wide range of people uh, would come. And, uh, and then they would ask me questions, just kind of like this kind of setting, you know, but it was really refreshing for me because, I mean, these people didn't have much knowledge of any of God or church or the Bible or anything like that. So those are some real rich times where we found out together how, how our, where our strengths were together in that kind of setting. And, and it wasn't your typical small group and it wasn't like everything else. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, when after a while, Everybody, most everybody there needed to take a smoke break, you know, and so we would just take a break, and they'd step out on the balcony of the, our apartment, and they'd have their smoke break, and then they'd come back in, and then we'd keep on going, you know, in our, in, in church at that time, that was like, taboo, you know, you're like, 
anyway, people smoked, but you would never know it because people weren't allowed to be open with stuff like that. Yeah. Back in that day in church, you didn't ever let anybody know you smoked or drank or anything yeah. like that. You know what I mean? It was so a lot of people different. lived dishonest mm-hmm. as a result. And that's, I think, what the draw, too, was that we let people be themselves and accepted them where they were at, and we never, ever made anybody feel lesser for struggling with stuff like that. Yeah, and hopefully you feel that way, because we love you very much. It's kind of a trade-off. Like, you get to come in and see our struggles, and we we accept yours if you accept ours. You know, it's a trade-off. We know that everybody has them, and everybody has stuff. You know, the the truth is that, I've had so many people pour into my life and have been there through my own struggles and have helped me overcome things in my life that I just feel like it's going to take the rest of my life to try to even pay that back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take the rest. I know what it did for me. I just try to pass that on to other people. I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for spiritual leaders in my life who would love me through my darkest moments and be there to be healed and restored and move forward. Amen. So, yeah, that was, we gave you a loaded answer. But. Is there any part of your question we didn't get? <laughs> I like your interpretation of his voice. She is allowed more than one. <laughs> what else we got? We got another one? I have a question, yeah. Um, what would you say is the best thing to do while waiting for your spouse and how to prepare? Oh, like a single person. I thought you meant like waiting for him to get ready. I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the best thing that you can do while waiting for your spouse and how to prepare. Listen to Brad Paisley's song, Waiting on a Woman. It'll help you. (laughs) Uh, I guess my only answer would be to pursue God during that time and not, don't pursue your spouse. Don't go look in every nook and cranny for a spouse, but just pursue God and let him bring someone to your life that is right for you and don't settle on the first joker that shows up. Make sure that they love the Lord more than they love you and that they are regular churchgoers and they want to be involved in the body of Christ and Mm -hmm. the things that are going to make for for a good marriage. And girls, make sure the guy's got a job. Yes. All right. I don't care what he a says. Well, oh, I'm just J-O-B. trying to find myself. I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what else. Get a job, dude. Come on, man. All right. You know, one thing I appreciated about Eric through our uh, early years, especially, was you know we've we've been in ministry since before we got married, but there were times that the ministry position that he held or we held didn't pay the bills. And he was always willing to do whatever it took to make sure that our bills were met. And we've always lived, we started out in the very beginning deciding that we were going to make our, his living fit our bills. I was not going to have to work. I could work if I wanted to, but I didn't have to in order to pay the bills. And yes, it was very slim at times. (laughs) But when we started having kids, we were so glad that we did that because I was able to stay home with the kids always. And we would make arrangements some other way, but it never forced me to have to work in those early years. And then as I wanted to, or we needed extra money, I could get a job for, you know, a certain amount of time or whatever. But, um, 
we always lived below our means, but he was willing to get a second job or a third job or whatever to make the bills so we could stay with that standard. And I mean, he did everything under the sun, you know, because of our ministry schedule. We had to do things that were flexible or whatever it was at the time. And, um, and the he Lord was, always He was provided. always willing always to do whatever to do it, it took. Yeah. And so girls find you a guy like that, not somebody that sits on their rear end and waits for something to be dropped in their lap. Amen. If it ain't happening, you're supposed to go make it happen. Yeah. Amen. You know, the Bible does give us, there are, this is actually in the New Testament. If a man doesn't work, he ain't worth eating. He should not even eat if he doesn't work. Mm -hmm. There is a, a virtue and a command and responsibility for us men to work. Because the truth is, it, there's something about even your own makeup that you know that. And there's a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment as a man to go do a day's work. And I think that's the God factor, to rest when the work is done. Mm -hmm. Amen. Who else? I have several questions in the queue. So if you do have a question, um, it'll probably be better if you go ahead and text me so I can make sure we get you on the list. Um, next question that I have is what are some core value truths that you lean on in hard times? Core value truths that you lean on? Um, <clears throat> to get the word in my mouth, depending on whatever subject it may be, whatever issue it may be. If it is, uh, if it is something financial, um, then I'll, I'll research or go over scriptures that I already know about God's provision, what God has said. Uh, that has been one of my personal things to see what has God said about this situation? What does he say? And then get his word in my mouth and declare it. And then also to decide I'm not taking on the burden of this. I have to say that out loud sometimes. I'm not bearing this weight. Mm -hmm. This is his to bear. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving it to him. And, and, and then just, just doing everything I can to just combat by just being thankful. Being thankful when everything else on the inside, you know, when you're kind of crumbling uh, um, and you have that. In every fear-producing situation, let me just say this. In every fear-producing produce, situation, there is courage to take. Mm -hmm. the, the disciples and Jesus, we see this happen again and again. Storm rises and there's a fear-producing situation. And here's Jesus on the scene. Don't fear. Don't fear. Take courage. Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Yeah, I see that, but I have something. I'm here. I'm on your side. So uh, I would say that value of just really first saying what God has said and then saying what he says in the midst of that. Even Because let me, let me say this to you. From personal experience, I can tell you, you're not going to feel that promise. You have to declare it. You're not going to feel it. You have to declare it beyond what you feel. Because right, you're going to be feeling the weight. You're going to be feeling that difficulty. You're going to be feeling that sadness or that grief or that pressure. But you need to push beyond that with your mouth mm -hmm. all right, and declare what God has said. And you'll find that when you do, feelings start changing. They start shifting to match your confession. Okay? Yeah. Amen. What, do you, what would you say to that? Um, I would, well, it depends on the circumstances, but just the word always being the final word. What the Bible says is final no matter what. 
Um, you know, but if it's like a financial issue, sowing a seed. If it's an issue of unforgiveness, sowing into that person. If it's an issue, you know, just depending on what the issue is, is always generosity will never let you down. Always having a generous outlook and a generous heart will, uh, will take care of a lot of that. That is true. That's something that Heather and I have practiced and seen the fruit of that in giving. Like if we've come into a financial difficulty, you know, the, the, the temptation is to collect, collect as much as you can. We decided, let's just give. Let's give in this difficulty. Let's give what we have. Yeah, that means we have nothing. No, that means we got seed in the ground. That ain't nothing. And, and God we, is always Yeah, and what, I, what I've kind of gone by is if, if what's in my hand isn't what I need, then it's seed to get to me to what I need. If it's not, if it's not what I need, then it's seed. That is good. You should write a book on that or something. <laughs> what else? Awesome. Next, what is your greatest piece of marriage advice? Compromise. I'm not talking about your morals. I'm talking about your opinions. Compromise. It's a great word to live by when you're married. Compromise means that you're willing to listen. Compromise means that you don't have to be right. Compromise means you don't have to have the last word. Compromise means that you'll go where they want to go even though you don't like to go there. Like shopping. What else? Um, no, that's good. Compromise. Uh, I was just going to say that we've made it a standard in our marriage from the very beginning. We wouldn't talk about divorce. It wasn't an option. We've talked about kill, wanting to kill each other, but not divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so we have good life insurance, but we won't ever get a divorce. Easy. No, but we Easy. just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, this is, not, this is not a joke. I came home one day, and she's watching one of her murder shows <laughs> on ID Channel or something, and it was specifically titled, How to Kill Your Husband. <laughs> And I said, honey, I, should I be worried? And she says, you got to sleep sometime. She doesn't, she doesn't help the situation at all. Anyway. I got that in my back pocket just in case I ever need it. So if you, if you hear that something's happened to me, there's a good chance. She won't divorce me, but she might kill me. Anyway. I'm just learning lots of ways not to do it. They never get away with it, so I never figure out how to actually do it. Uh, we are joking, by the way. Yes. Well, just... We, um, yeah, we just don't make that an option, and uh, Amen. It, it helps us to work through just about anything. But we're both committed to that. Um, you know, I, I don't come down on anybody who's been divorced. I know there's situations that can't be salvaged. I don't, we don't at all, no, uh, not at all. act as though that's always the case. Mm -hmm. But we're both committed to that. We're both committed to living a life that's pleasing the Lord. We're both committed to, you know, the same principles and all that. We recognize that that's not always the case. Amen. Yeah.
righty. Next question. Were there times you doubted God? If so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, oh yeah, lots of times. Lots of times. Do you mean just today or? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go for it. Yes, um, like Eric was saying earlier, those times when we're speaking the word and 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 it seems like the situation's getting worse and we're speaking the word and we're speaking the word and the situation... I'm like, Lord, you said, and especially times when we were um, younger, we would hold God accountable to what his word said about, you know, our, our finances and things like that. We would say, you said this, and we're, we're not, we don't have enough money for our month. You said this, you know, we would try to hold God to his word, which he should. Um, so there were times that doubt would come in, but we're here now. He's never let us down. We always made it. So, Yeah, doubt. a lot of times doubt comes just because of uh, maybe a misconception in the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we know God is faithful and we believe that He is because He is who He said He was and He's proven Himself and there's, there's no need really ever to doubt Him or His character. But sometimes we get in a situation and, and our, we, can, we can misunderstand what's really happening and really maybe we did this if we're honest maybe we brought this situation on ourselves maybe we've done something but it's we'd like to pass the buck on to somebody else <laughs> like god why are you allowing this well um uh, you're allowing it i'm allowing you to allow it mm-hmm. so you you you're gonna have to make the choice here you know my brother told me years ago he was riding around in his car he and he and his wife were having some financial difficulty this had to be 20 years no maybe not that maybe 15 years ago he's driving around he said man i just start reminding god of his word he said, I'm, I'm just ranting in my car. God, you said, you said, we are tithers. And you said in your word that you would rebuke the devourer for our sakes. And, 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 and he said, all of a sudden, he heard the Lord say, look around you, Brandon. He said, I start looking around my car. And he said, I've got all these like McDonald's bags and this, this. And God said, you're the devourer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. And I think a lot of that happens just either through fear or just misunderstanding. And that's why, my family, we have to go back to what does the Scripture say? In those moments of where you're unsettled, in those moments of fear where you're, you kind of feel that shift, you're shifting out of faith, you're, you're being pulled away from what you know to be true, that's when you have to go to the words and say, no, what does the Word say? God is faithful. And also to remember when He has shown Himself faithful. And if he has done it before, how many of you here today, just by the show of your hands, uh, God has shown himself faithful in some area of your life. You knew that God came through when you're in a difficult situation. Okay, so now you can recall then those victories. And here's the truth about God. Since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he did it before, not only will he do it again, he has to do it again. He has to. And it may not be like you think. It may not look like you think it should look. But he's faithful. And he's good. And his word is true. So that's the thing I have to just keep coming back to. What the Apostle Paul said. What does the scripture say? All right, let's get to the truth. If I'm doubting, I need to go find truth. 
and get back on that and believe it and declare it. Well, and there's so many times that God's answered our prayers in ways that I would have never fathomed, so I quit trying to figure it out. I tend to be a control freak, so I'm always wanting to let God know exactly how he can work it out for me. But he always has a different and a better plan, and, and I always think that he's not doing anything because it's not happening the way I think it should. And then he rolls up with something that is even better but completely unexpected. So I quit trying to figure it out for him and just trust God. Yeah, and disappointment comes, too, whenever you make appointments for God that Mm -hmm. he's supposed to meet. Mm -hmm. I need it done by this time. I need it done in this way. And when it doesn't happen that way, then you get disappointed because he missed his appointment that you made for him. If you can just trust that he knows, and when you give it to him, all right, Lord, now it's time for me to imitate those who through faith and patience... Inherit the promises. Amen. Are there anybody (laughs) in here who has a question? Is there? Are there? Excuse my grammar. Anybody who hasn't gotten their answered? Okay. How do you choose? Sorry, I was... I have a cracked screen too, so it's hard for me to read my (laughs) questions. How do you choose Christians to listen to, Christian leaders to listen to? Mm. You're talking about like pastors? Yeah, I I guess like just preachers. Podcasts you listen to or preachers that you listen to. Okay. I mean, this sounds simple, and. (laughs) but if what they're saying lines up with the word and the nature of God, the character of God, um, which at this stage is pretty easy, but that's why you need to read your Bible yourself. And, you know, even what Pastor Eric stands up here and says, you shouldn't believe it just because he says it. You need to see it for yourself in the word and you need to, you know, and he always does such a great job at breaking the word down where it's, where you can understand it. So, you know, in some ways you can just listen to him and believe it because he's showing you in the word, but I just mean like it needs to um, resonate with your spirit from what you've communed with God about. And I, I mean, as a new believer, it's a little bit different, I think. Um, and so then you get some spiritual leaders in your life that you can say, hey, I heard this guy say this. Yeah. Didn't really sound right. What, what's up with that? Well, the truth is you can learn, you really can learn from anyone. I'm going to say something and, it, and, you know, I'm not coming across, trying to come across as biased or, you know, or narrow-minded necessarily. But for me personally, I, I have to do this. And um, my, the main influx of anyone speaking into my life, especially when it comes to men and women of God, is to me, they need to be spirit-filled Christians. I mean, by spirit-filled, I mean they speak in other tongues. Um, Because every writer of the New Testament, let's think about this for a moment, every writer of the New Testament spoke in tongues. Every one of them. How can we expect to understand what was written by people who spoke in other tongues 
How can we expect to understand that without us also having that same gift, without us also operating in that same gift? Or to listen to someone who doesn't, not, hear me out for a second, please, I'm, I'm not being divisive here, or to listen to someone who doesn't to interpret what spirit-filled believers are saying. Because there is a difference. There is a major difference. Um, and, and I have good friends who are denominational pastors, and they have good things to say. And I'm not denigrating what they have to say. I love them, and I appreciate them, and I've learned from them. But not even close to what I've learned from those who are open to the gifts of the Spirit and who have them active in their lives. I mean, it's not even close. Um, I like those who believe in modern revelation, in revelation today from the Scriptures that it's still alive and there are still new things coming from the Scriptures for us who are seeking it and diligently looking for it and seeking, making sure that everything is by the book in that way. Um, but there are some who believe that there is no new revelation and so they preach that way. And it's just like, okay, well, that's good. That's good and it's, okay, it's decent and it's magoo, but... But I want to I see what Jesus said that we could see if we believe. Yeah. Signs and wonders and miracles and speaking in tongues and casting out devils and, and seeing the, the, the function of the gospel. Because we don't only have, as the great T.L. Osborne, one of the greatest missionaries of our time, said we owe it to the world not to only preach the gospel, but to demonstrate the gospel. But to demonstrate. And spirit-filled believers just tend to be more active in that. Well, I was going to say that to that I tend to not really listen to anybody that I don't either have a relationship with or some sort of, I, I can relate to them through, you know, whether my father-in-law knows them and I can know through him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't tend to listen to somebody new just for the sake of seeing if I like them. If someone recommends them, I may. Um, but what you just said, I, I, the reason for that is because I want to know that they live an example of what they're preaching, that they're living a well-disciplined lifestyle, honestly. And the people that I listen to, I know them personally, or I know enough about them because of their connection to other people that I know or whatever. So I'm kind of picky in that way, that I just, I want to know who they are as a person. I don't want to just hear a fluffy yeah. word. And those that are really, what I look for as far as listening to podcasts and things like that, when I want to hear preachers, I'm not talking about you know, there's lots of good things out there, good leadership podcasts and all kinds of good things out there. I'm talking about if I want to just hear somebody open the word to me, I'm going to, to listen to guys who open the word, mm -hmm. who don't just give me principles, who don't just give me, but I'm, they actually open their Bible and they exegete the scriptures to me. And that's, that's extremely important to me. Yep. Awesome. All right. Let's... Let's take, how many more do we have? Three or four. Four. Three or four? Okay. Let's see how quick we can get through, through this. Okay. Everybody okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah. As a woman, I have had guys want to pursue a relationship with me that I have not wanted to pursue myself <laughs> to the point where I'm uncomfortable with their advances, but I don't want to turn them off to God or church. How do I go about turning them down? without ruining my witness. That sounds like a Heather question. If, if their only pursuit of God comes through their pursuit of you, they're not really pursuing God in the first place. So 
if, if you turning their advances down turns them away from God, they weren't serious about pursuing God in the first place. That's not on you. That's well said. I'm assuming it was you. I'm, saying, I'm answering it to you like it was you that asked it. And, and does he have a job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's, if they make you think that, then that's a cop-out just to try to get you to. That's right. Given to their advances. That's right. Because two complete people coming together is how God made us. Remember, we talked about this. We don't complete one another. He completes us. And if you think somebody will complete you, you are putting a wrong expectation on that person, an ungodly expectation on that person. They can't be God for you. And there is an attractiveness about a pursuit of God. Um, my daughter's had that problem. You know, her outspokenness about her love for the Lord has caused guys to think that she's the one, you know, and I'm so... <laughs> especially in Bible school. Yeah, especially in Bible school. But like on social media and stuff, because nowadays a lot of young people meet each other through social media and they see her and they think that that's just, you know, all wonderful how spiritual she is. Mm. So that that is probably more the draw than actually a relationship with God when they're pursuing God because you're you're the one leading. Amen. What else? Okay. Uh, the next one that I have is, what do you think about genera generational curses? <laughs> Who asked that question? <laughs> I think this. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, here's what that means. The blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham is a generational blessing. That's what separated Abraham from, and his family and his lineage from the rest of the world. They chose, he chose to believe God, and what that did was set his... Isaac up to be blessed. It set Jacob up to be blessed and every one following. So we don't, I mean, it's, it's better than just being out from under a generational curse. It's completely the other way around now. Now we live under generational blessings that we expect our children to serve the Lord. We expect our children to have God experiences and to have their own relationship with God and be blessed by God and to live in his favor. And then we expect their children to, to have the same thing. Generational curses are real. Let me say that. They are real. It happens through bloodline. It happens through thinking and speaking. It happens through behavior, all those kinds of things, those learned things. But here's the deal. The, the other side of it is you have to know that Christ has redeemed you from that. And when you exalt Jesus in that moment, everything stops in that moment. Just like Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody's going to heaven, right? They have to believe that he died for their sins in order for that to be a reality to them. So yeah, generational curses are out there because the curse of sin and death is in the world. I mean, the ultimate generational curse came when one man, one man sinned, death came to all of us, right? But God didn't leave us in that. By one man, righteousness can come to all who believe, all right? That fixes it. It's done. I believe the moment you believe on Jesus, every curse is completely, utterly destroyed from your life. The problem comes, and, and I see this in Christian groups, and I see this when they, they exalt 
generational curses as some huge thing looming over the Christian life. And so they want to take you into this room or whatever, and they want to break all these curses off you and go through that. I'm like, is that, that's not much different than witchcraft. That's not much different than, than going to see some witch doctor. Here's, here's my confession. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. It's done. It's finished. I exalt him, not some process. He is my full deliverance. Amen. And that needs to be your confession anytime anything that's happened in generations before you rears its head in your life. You say, no, this I mean, you has been paid for. That's right. You don't have to keep going through, well, you don't have to keep talk, talking about, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm safe from hell. I'm safe from hell. I mean, is that not the worst curse possible? But in one moment of faith in Jesus, you got delivered from that? You're telling me you've got to trail around these generational curses like they have some stronger hold than hell itself? Are you kidding me? Huh? This whole thing was eradicated through Jesus. Got to stop exalting that stuff, acting like it's so powerful and so strong. No, the blessing of God has finished all of that work through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus has finished the work. Amen. So listen to me. I will say this because I do believe that there is a lot of corruption in that realm to sell books. They're getting rich off of that deception. And it needs to stop. It's called the prophet of Baal. They've gone in the way of Baal, Baal. It is a demonic, demonic thing. All right. Um, do you think someone raised in the word, do you think they can have a close to perfect life if someone was raised in the word? <laughs> okay. Someone who does what now? Who was raised in, like, do you think someone could live a perfect life, specifically like someone who is, what if they were raised in the Word? Meaning or, without sin? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I assume so. You're talking about once they believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all born sinners, so, I mean, you're, the, immediately you start off imperfect. Right. So but what you've said before is we all have the ability not to sin. The yeah. probability, not so much, but the, we all have yeah. the ability to not sin. It, it is actually possible because we make the choices. Mm -hmm. You're not made to sin once you are, become a child of the living God. I mean, you have victory over that through his death, burial, and resurrection, so you don't have to sin. You really don't. But no amens there. Um, <laughs> you really don't. You don't, you don't have to. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fail. You don't have to fall. You don't have to. You've got every advantage in life with the, the victor living on the inside of you. Amen. And so knowing that, but I, I really I think it does come down to an identity thing again. When we don't realize that, when we don't confess that, and we don't believe that, and we bind the old religious lie. I'm just an old sinner saved by Christ. Well, okay. So what you're, what you're admitting is that being a, that Jesus... What, what, did that, what does that mean? What did he do for you? Are you a new creation or not? Did he, did he, did he fully justify you? Did he, did he fully take, die for your sins? Because if he didn't, then we're, we're hopeless. He made us new, brand new on the inside. A whole new creation, a whole new nature. Well, being, being an old sinner is one thing. Being saved by grace is a completely different reality. Amen. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We were sinners, but now we are saints. You know, and I believe that if we believe that, 
if we would confess those things, if we'd be aware of that. That's what I was really, going to say sin, too, though. Is sin would I think it would take a issue. level of walking on a, in a level of faith that, that doesn't come automatically with salvation. So even if that person had gotten saved at an early age, I think living completely sinless would take a level of faith, like he said, completely believe in the word and all of that, that comes as a believer believes. Amen. So, yeah, it's possible, but not probable. <laughs> but we're, we're pulling for everyone to yeah. do it. Amen. Amen. If you know who, if How you many know more we got? who it is, though. I just got one more. One more. Someone okay. just texted it. So, okay. you want to do this last one? Let's do this last one, okay. and maybe we'll do it again down the road. Okay. A family member is being pressured by Mormons to go to church. What is a scripture I can share with them to save them from believing what they tell her? Mormons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's go here for just a moment. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Now, I used to study the Mormon church extensively, actually, because I really wanted to know what they believed and so that I could know how to talk to them. I didn't want to just argue. I've had so many arguments with Mormons through the years. And, you know, that never, that never solved anything. It, it, never, it never fixed anything. And um, Paul says, uh, hang on. Tell a joke, honey. Well, I was going to say this about you having all your arguments with Mormons. <laughs> Is that we live, you know, the Mormon missionaries that go um, through the communities, we lived in a community where they would regularly visit. And Eric would regularly engage in arguments with them that never did any good. It just got them frustrated and leaving our house upset onto the next house. But what we started to do is just to serve them. You know, they're out riding their bike when it's hot outside. We would have them in for a glass of water. And Eric would actually, you know, talk to them civilly about what they, what they believed and that sort of thing. And we, he, this one particular group, he actually, you know, in, ended up telling them that he's a pastor, that, you know, we weren't really interested in what they had to say, but that anytime they were in the neighborhood, we'd give them water, whatever, and they came over pretty often yeah, for a while, knowing that we would at least just give them a bottle of water or whatever. And it actually opened them up to the things that Eric had to say. And they would listen. And even though, to our knowledge, they never, you know, grabbed a hold of it and took it, but they heard it. Yeah. They, they were open to hearing the gospel, where before, all they knew was this angry man shoving some, uh, diff- something different than what they believed down their throat. They wouldn't listen. But once we just started serving them, loving them right where they at, we gave them rides when they were out walking on a hot day. We'd give them rides places. We'd take them. And they were kind of perplexed by it. They were like, this is so weird that y'all believe a completely different thing, but that you would be this to us. We just said, well, you're people, you know. One particular day we picked them up. It was the middle of summer. We were on 380 over by, uh, kind of almost by Sam's. And uh, they were walking. They weren't on their bikes that day. And I said, hey, there's our Mormon buddies. So we pulled over, and we told them to get in the car. And, I mean, they were so hot. And, and so we had the AC blasting, and they said, thank you, thank you so much. And they said, we, we wanted you to know that we call you the nice pastor in town. <laughs> we've, had, we've had other encounters with other pastors. I said, well, I used to be one of those guys. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, really kindness, love wins. It really does. And... Um, but I'm, I'm 
passionate about the scriptures. I'm passionate about the truth, and sometimes that's been misappropriated. Um, but this, this is one thing that I always start off with because the Mormon church was founded upon this, this story where a young man by the name of Joseph Smith had an, a vizel, a, an angelic vizel, a, a, a visit by an angel named Moroni. All right? Moroni. Take I off and it's just moron. I think he kind of <laughs> misunderstood what was really happening. But Moroni, this angel, showed up and apparently presented him another testament of Jesus Christ, all right? He threw these gold tablets, and then somehow this 14-year-old kid was able to interpret the unknown language on those golden tablets into what is called the Book of Mormon, all right? And then some other books along the way. Joseph Smith was known as a horrific liar in the community and actually ended up in a, dying in a gun battle um, in, in later years of his life. Uh, and there's so many holes to their history, and, and if you know their history and if you take it up with them, it's no fun for them to even go into any of that. But one, one thing that I learned to just start off with from the Scripture, instead of saying, you know, I used to dance around all kinds of Scriptures, but I found this one, I found that usually this, this gets the conversation halted real fast. And where Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And so I, I take him to that verse of Scripture, and I tell him, your leader said an angel came and preached another testament of Jesus Christ. How do you reconcile that with what Paul just said? Because he made it very clear, even if an angel from heaven comes, they never have an answer on that, ever. I've never found one Mormon kid ever that could answer that question. I said, before we go any further, you have to answer that question. If you're not willing to answer that question, then the conversation's over. That's it. It's pretty simple. Don't you love that God put those kinds of verses together for us, knowing what kind of deceptions were coming, so that we would have an answer from the Word to refute that immediately? I love the Word of God. It's so thorough. It's so complete. It's marvelous. Anyway, but if you don't want to do that, give them a bottle of water. Love them. You know, I don't suggest trying to go into a debate with them, but. Hmm? But don't give them a Coke. Yeah, they don't drink Coke. Okay. That's an offense. Anyway. Wow, well, this has been fun. I hope, I, hope that, I hope you've learned something tonight. I hope this has added to you tonight and blessed you. Um, we really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Did you? Amen. All right, well, let's stand together tonight. Now, before we leave, I just want to. Take this opportunity. If anyone tonight needs prayer for healing, I want you to just raise your hand right now. You're suffering in your body in any kind of way. Or let's say you know someone right now, a very dear 
loved one to you or a coworker, somebody that you just want to bring before the Lord, a friend, just raise your hand. Now, Father, we just thank you right now. And if you're next to someone with their hand up, would you just go over and gently lay your hand on? We're just going to agree together and pray. You know, the scripture teaches us that when we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So we believe this. We believe what Jesus said. Just by the laying on of hands, Lord, we thank, we're thanking you right now for recovery, whether these are the, for the bodies here in this room, Lord, or bodies that they are representing. I just thank you right now. We declare what the word says, that you sent your word, and you healed them, and you delivered them from their destructions. We declare they shall live and not die, and they shall declare the wonderful works of God. Jesus, your body was broken so that these bodies would be healed. And we come against every form of sickness and disease and pain in the name of Jesus and command it to leave these bodies. I come against allergies right now in the name of Jesus. These chronic kind of things that they've had to deal with over and over again, we declare tonight that is over in Jesus' name. They're stepping into a new dimension, a new realm tonight of health and vitality in the name of Jesus. And the old things are gone because the new things have come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that right now you are seated next to the Father with a back that is scarred up, that bore stripes for our healing. You're already convinced of it. We, you, we don't have to try to convince you to heal. You already healed us. And you bear the marks of the covenant in your body. So we just thank you that that covenant is their reality. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.